This is a Timmet podcast. This podcast is part of the series On the Marge. The title of this episode is All the World's a Bus. All the World's a Bus. All the world's a bus, and all the men and women, merely passengers. I take the bus to work at least three or four times a week. That leaves the car for Mara, so she can drive Alex to music lessons, or go for groceries, in case we have last-minute guests at our bed and breakfast. Taking the bus also soothes my green conscience, and lets me believe I am doing my bit for the environment. But most of all, taking the bus lets me practice my favorite activity, watching people. The bus is the best place to observe people. I've watched people on buses in Ottawa, Montreal, Winnipeg, and Edmonton. On the bus, people have yet to put on the artificial personality masks that they often wear at work. They are simply themselves. Actually, in Whitehorse, I found that few people have these personality masks. I found the genuine and direct nature of most Yukoners be a quite refreshing change when we moved from Ottawa. There are three general classes of people that I encounter while watching. The first group are the people I know well. An example would be Sarah, who rides the bus just about every day and boards three stops after mine. She is a school teacher. I met Sarah and her partner at an outdoors club potluck, and we often see them at the art center. They have been to our New Year's party several times, and we were at their place once for a barbecue. Of course, because I know Sarah well, I automatically exclude her from my watching activities. Instead, we sit on the facing seats near the back of the bus and argue about politics. The second group of people are those about whom I know just a little bit. Allison is a typical example. She rides the bus every day and gets on two stops after Sarah. She works as a cashier at Shoppers Drug Mart. I know her name only because it's written on her plastic name tag. The only time we ever speak is when I buy toothpaste. As a people watcher, because I know just about nothing about Allison, the object is to deduce her whole life's experience from details I observe while riding the bus. In the case of Allison, however, it's the man who rides with her that provides the interesting challenge. The man is always waiting with Allison at the stop when the bus arrives. He lets her board first and follows very close behind. Allison always sits in the window seat on the left-hand side of the bus directly across from the rear exit. Even though the bus is only half full this early in the morning, the man follows Allison up the aisle and sits right beside her. At first I thought the situation was quite clear. The man was Allison's partner. But I quickly noticed that the couple exchange not a single word during the whole trip. Allison always gazes absently out the window and the man stares straight ahead. When we get downtown near Ogilvy Street, Allison pulls the cord to signal the driver she wants off. The man stands up and lets Allison disembark first. He follows her off the bus. She heads toward the drugstore where she works, while the man turns and walks the other way without a backward glance. There's no, Okay, have a good day, dear, or Don't forget to pick up a liter of milk on your way home. This has led me to consider several possibilities. Perhaps 
Allison and the man are married, but have become tired and fed up with each other's presence. Their personal relationship is at an end, and they stay together because of the children. They've been through all the screaming and accusations and are now burned out. They have to ride the same bus to work every morning and sit together out of habit, but they have absolutely nothing more to say to each other, so they ride in silence. Another possibility is that Allison and the man share a deep spiritual bond. They are very much in love and their souls are entwined. They do not speak on the bus because their very proximity to each other is more than enough. Their hearts beat in unison and their electric fields resonate together. There is no need for one to tell the other, okay, have a good day, dear, because they, they know, they just know that that's what the other wishes without having to say it. They know without saying who will pick up the liter of milk on the way home. I don't consider this possibility to be highly probable. Of course, a third possibility exists. The man is a stalker, perhaps a neighbor infatuated with Allison. He watches her at night through her living room window and later in her bedroom. He is, however, very shy. He has found the courage to sit beside Allison on the bus, hoping that she'll notice him. He has not yet found the courage actually to talk to her. That will come in time. And then there are the people on the bus about whom I know absolutely nothing. Their lives are books yet to be written, based on the minute clues that the Sherlock Holmes in me observes and knits together into a coherent explanation. One example of this third group is the man with no hat. He was always waiting empty-handed in the shelter in front of the Porter Creek Super A. When he gets on the bus, he exchanges a few pleasant words with the driver. Then he makes his way slowly up the aisle, nodding and smiling, making eye contact with each person individually, saying hello to some. He sits at the very back of the bus, gazing out the window. If I turn discreetly to look at him, he smiles and nods to me. He wears safety boots, so he probably works in some industrial job. He gets off the bus near Superstore. Maybe he works there, moving boxes and unloading trucks in the back where I never see him. Or maybe he works in an industrial supply store, selling earplugs and safety vests. He wears the safety boots to give himself credibility with his customers. The man with no hat has close-cropped, thinning hair with a bald spot on top. I worry about him, because even on the coldest days, he wears no hat. 20 below, 30 below, it's all the same. He's waiting patiently in the bus shelter as the bus arrives, and miraculously, his ears do not freeze. Maybe his wife, driving the family car, drops him off at the bus shelter seconds before the bus arrives. Or maybe he lives very close by and runs to the shelter. He doesn't seem the running type of person, though, and the nearest house is several minutes away. The Super A is closed that early in the morning, and the bus can sometimes be several minutes late, certainly enough time for ears to freeze. Some improbable scenarios did occur to me, but they are unsatisfactory. The man with no hat is really an alien with a circulatory system based on some liquid that does not freeze at temperatures above minus 40. Or maybe he is simply an ordinary earthling who, for some reason I have yet to deduce, does not want to be seen wearing a hat 
or is proud of his balding head. He takes off his hat and hides it in his pocket just before the bus arrives. It's obvious to me that the case of the man with no hat needs more work. And then there is Mary. I don't know her real name. I just use that name in my mental people-watching notes. We have never spoken. In fact, I don't really know if Mary can speak. Mary gets on the bus not far from the Super A. She raises her arms above her head and makes a moaning sound to the driver. The drivers all know her and wish her a cheerful good morning. Then Mary sits on the right-hand side of the bus, near the front, on the long seat that runs parallel to the aisle. One morning, some stranger was sitting there. Mary waved her arms over her head and moaned until the stranger moved. In the winter, Mary wears knitted mitts and a knitted hat that ties under her chin. They look handmade. On really cold days, her hood is up and she has a knitted scarf tied around the outside of the hood, as if some loving parent has carefully dressed her before sending her out to catch the bus. I estimate that Mary is in her thirties, but it's difficult to tell. Mary is round and heavy, just like her glasses. She has Down syndrome. Mary carefully watches out the window and pulls the cord in plenty of time for her stop by the brewery. As she gets off, she waves her arms and moans at the driver and exits by the front door. As the bus pulls past her, she waves her arms again. The man with no hat and I wave back. Allison and her male shadow never wave at all. I wonder what Mary does. Does she have a job somewhere? Perhaps as a greeter in the nearby plumbing shop? Maybe she carries parts around in the electrical supply store and helps make up orders. Once in the afternoon, she was already on the bus heading home when I boarded downtown. Where was she coming back from? She never has a purse or a shopping bag. When I watch people on buses in cities outside, there are many cases I never resolved. I would see the same people over and over on the bus, do my best to imagine their stories, but never know for sure. Whitehorse, on the other hand, is small enough that I know I will eventually meet the subjects of my study in some other situations. By chance, I will walk into the stores where they work and see them in their daytime environments. Or some year, we will run into each other at the Canada Day celebrations at Shipyards Park, each of us with our family members along to provide some social context. A picture in the paper, an introduction as a friend of a friend, or an encounter at the front desk of the library will provide more pieces for my puzzle. So we continue to ride the bus together, everyone in their usual seats. The only ones who ever really talk are Sarah and me. I work on my people watching. The seasons change, and everything else stays the same. And then, one day things were different. The day started out fairly normal. I was sitting in my accustomed place, arguing with Sarah about which unsuccessful candidates from the civic election would run for MLA in the Yukon election. I was not so engrossed in our conversation that I did not notice Allison and her silent companion get on at their usual stop and sit in their usual seats. The man with no hat boarded as usual and smiled his way to the back of the bus two seats behind Sarah and me. When Mary got on the bus, she waved her arms and moaned at the driver as usual, and then stepped over to her usual seat near the front. 
Suddenly, she stiffened, spun around, and stared at the rest of the passengers further back. Instead of sitting down, she stepped up to the first passenger, a lady I didn't recognize, sitting one seat behind. Mary waved her arms and moaned, but the lady just shrugged. Mary moved back to Allison and her silent stalker. Again, she waved her arms and moaned. Allison said, Sorry, I don't understand. Well, the man beside her just looked out the window. Mary addressed herself to two other groups, waving and moaning with no more success, before she arrived beside Sarah and me. Again, her flurry of arms and series of moans were no more comprehensible to us. What is it you want? Point it out, I suggested. Mary turned from us and stepped to the back of the bus. I half turned to my seat to see how the man with no hat would react. He had disappeared. I jumped up and looked over Mary's shoulder. The man with no hat was slumped down, almost horizontal on the seat. His eyes were closed and his mouth hung open. I pushed past Mary and shook him, but there was no response. Quick, I called to Sarah. Get the driver to call an ambulance. I went into my first aid routine. Mary waved her arms and moaned. The bus stopped. By the time the ambulance arrived, I was performing CPR, but the man with no hat was still unconscious. The ambulance took him away, and the bus continued on its route. We were all late. That was Friday. On Monday, everything had changed. Sarah was not on the bus, which was not unusual. Allison and her shadow were waiting at the usual stop. My mouth hung open as they boarded, chatting cheerfully about somebody else they both knew. They sat on the wrong side of the bus, this time right in front of the rear exit. Then if that was not enough, the man with no hat got on, carrying a bouquet of roses wrapped up in clear plastic in one hand and a magazine in the other. He was wearing a hat, a black toque, the type that commandos wear in war movies. He sat in Mary's place. It was as if I was on the wrong bus. The routine of more than a year was completely disrupted. Mary got on the bus at her usual stop, waved her arms and moaned at the driver. Then she turned to sit her in her usual spot. The man, now with a hat, stood up and offered the bunch of roses to Mary. She waved her arms and moaned, but refused to take the flowers. The man insisted. Mary waved and moaned, but could not be convinced. The man shrugged, opened the plastic, extracted one long-stemmed rose, and held it out to Mary. She hesitated, waved her arms, moaned, and then took the flower. She quickly sat down in her usual place. The man with the hat made his way to the back of the bus, stopping at each passenger to smile and offer them a rose. Allison giggled, and the man seated beside her put his arm around her as they took their roses. By the time the man with the hat reached me, there were three roses left. He gave them all to me and said, Thank you. Then he sat, not at the very back as he usually did, but in the seat across from me.
he started to read his magazine. I could see that it was Psychology Today. We got to Mary's stop, and she didn't get off. I thought that maybe she was flustered by the whole experience with the roses and had forgotten to pull the cord. But no, she got off at Superstore instead, the stop where the man with a hat usually gets off. She waved at everyone. Allison and her friend both waved enthusiastically. The man with a hat got off one stop later, smiling at everyone as he left the bus. Well, at least Allison and her companion got off at their usual stop. They stood chatting beside the bus. The man gave Allison his rose, and she kissed him on the cheek. Then the bus pulled away, and they were lost to view. Sherlock Holmes never had this much challenge, or this much fun. This has been a Timmet podcast in a series called On the Marge. Instrumental intro and exit are courtesy of Kate Weeks. If you would like more of these podcasts, check out the podcast website at timmet.ca slash podcasts. That's T-I-M-M-I-T dot C-A slash podcasts.